Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. I just wanted to take a few minutes for us to arrive, and then uh, <clears throat> I'll say a, a few opening remarks, and uh, then Rinpoche will will uh, share the Dharma for a little while. And what we have in mind is, um, besides what we say, uh, to practice together in this spirit of the, the theme of the, the joy of, of no self with periods of sitting and walking and sitting and time for questions and, uh, and discussion. And then uh, again in the afternoon, uh, the first part of the afternoon, Rinpoche will, will give a talk and then uh, towards the end of the day, I'll, I'll share some more thoughts as well. <clears throat> So the, uh, the theme for the day is the, the joy of no self. And uh, as I, I came in, I saw the two books out there uh, in the entryway. And one book, Awakening Joy, and another one, No Self, No Problem. Um, and that's what we kind of uh, decided to, uh, to do today, to bring our perspectives, which are quite aligned and similar to see how this very profound teaching of no self is really um, the ultimate joy, the ultimate happiness. The Buddha in, uh, uh, in the discourses talks about our main problem being what he refers to as the conceit of I am and talking about it in terms of how we get involved in I-making and mind-making. Remember the old song, I, me, mine? Um, If you're old enough, I'm just remembering George Harrison's song, all through the night, I, me, mine, I, me, mine, I, me, mine. (laughs) That's what he's talking about. Um, That this creates a lot of problems. And when we can somehow see through that and open up to the truth of the selfless nature of reality, it is liberating. Now, the, the, I remember when I was starting practice, the thought of not being around or somehow getting rid of this self was going to hurt or was dangerous, or gosh, what, what happens if I'm not around? 
you know, I kind of, and, and it can be a little, uh, not a little, it can be very unsettling when people in deep, deeper practice um, touch that place where they're not around. Oh my goodness, what happens to me now? But then as you become more and more familiar and really get the idea, uh, it's wonderful to not be around. We all have this experience many times when we're not around. When you are, for instance, dancing and really letting go and you're not in your head, you're not thinking about how you're looking to everybody else, when you're just dancing for the fun of it, you might know that experience of not being around, where it's just life moving through you, or writing, or singing, or often in the creative experience, where you are just a kind of instrument for life to move through you. You touch those moments of not being around. Or if you're um, in a very intimate moment with somebody where you can merge, whether in conversation or intimacy, physical intimacy, and there's just, there's not you and the other, there's simply presence connecting between these two forms. We so yearn for that. We so want it. Because in those moments, there's not a self to look good or to judge or to compare. We're free of that. And that points to this joy of no self, where we can let go of trying to be anything, let go of the I-making and the mind-making. So as we, uh, as we practice together, as we do our sitting and walking and, uh, and our sharing together, I want to, we want to keep on inviting you to practice in that spirit of not striving to be a good meditator, not trying to have the right sitting, whether it's internally or externally, not having any kind of report card, but just letting, letting yourself relax into simply being, simply allowing presence to... Um, to experience itself through this form called you. And hopefully you can get a, just a taste of, of this joy of no self, which you have many, many times and just become more and more familiar with identifying, oh, this is what it's like to let go of any kind of image of me or any kind of striving to be a better me, but that Life is quite sufficient enough as it expresses itself through, through this form. So with that, um, I want to um, uh, introduce my uh, 
my friend uh, Anam Tupton Rinpoche, who um, I really recommend the book No Self, No Problem. I've given lots of them away. It's great. It's, it's thin enough where it's not daunting, but, uh, but every sentence counts. And it's also, um, as you'll see, filled with lightness of heart and, and depth of wisdom that, uh, that you'll hear from Rinpoche himself. And uh, I just love to hear him talk about no self and no problem. Uh, so, Rinpoche, will you please... Share the Dharma. Thank you for the invitation. Welcome, everybody. There are many similes and uh, metaphors in the Buddhist uh, teachings. One of them is this uh, exotic flower that blossoms once every thousand eons. When it blossoms, it does not last forever. It perishes in a single moment for this very reason that the flower is very precious. And that flower is called Atamwara. It's actually a metaphor. This flower signifies something about our being, this life, this existence. This very existence is like a tamwara flower. It's so precious because it would not last a long time. Every moment we take breath, when we take breath in and breathe out, we are getting closer and closer to the end of this existence. Of course, our essence, the consciousness, never dies since it is non-material, uncompounded, it has no beginning, it has no end, but this physical reality eventually will come to end. And that's why it's very precious, so precious. That is to be treated to regard as a, this delicate flower, which is not going to last for a long time. Uh, for this reason, many people describe that they have a moment of freedom, even enlightenment, at the moment of a death because they realized that this existence is so perishable, 
and you saw exquisite to the extent that nothing matters so much. Being successful, poor, loved by others, rejected by others, all these things don't matter so much. They're like illusion, like dreams, don't matter so much. Because that, now, every moment becomes truly precious. Even this moment is so precious. So precious that uh, nothing can buy it. You can put all the wealth of the world, and yet this moment is even more precious and more worthwhile than the wealth of the entire world because you cannot buy this moment. This moment is already passing away. The question that I like to ask myself is uh, how many moments I have uh, wasted in the realm of unnecessary suffering and hatred insecurity, perhaps countless of them. And then another question that I'd like to present myself is that, am I going to continue wasting my life from now on and to suffer unnecessarily? This is a very important question to ask. Actually, as a uh, possibility, as only possibility, we can be free right now in this very moment. We can be free forever from this moment. Only possibility, not as a absolute certainty. Not only that, uh, you have every means and power and capacity inside you to set yourself free from this moment on and forever. Maybe this is why Buddha said, I can show you only path and you must liberate yourself. You must set yourself free. I cannot do that for you. Can we turn our attention inward and realizing that actually, indeed, we are Buddha. We have this extraordinary ability to set ourselves free from this moment on forever.
So to me, this is the most profound words that Buddha expressed among all his teachings, among all his expressions, when he said that you can set yourself free. You can set yourself free in this very moment. And once and forever. I'm simply repeating this most important message that Buddha ever expressed. And it's very good news to hear too. <laughs> Something maybe we haven't thought so much about it or haven't believed it in such a possibility. Now, there are many verses that uh, completely opens your heart and bring so much uh, irrational joy into your consciousness. And this verse was one of them for me. Uh, periodically, I recite this verse, which is mentioned in many sutras, in uh, Nikaya sutras, as well as also Mahayana sutras. The very words that I quoted from Buddha. I used to recite that verse and feel so much joy. Not joy for myself, not only for myself, but for everybody, for all humanity. This very notion that you can set yourself free. And it's so important for us to remember that again and again. You have every means, every power, every magic to set yourself free. Even this very moment, whether you can see that power and that benevolence inside you or not, that's another matter. Sometimes actually you realize that you can set yourself free. And then, of course, uh, we forget that. <laughs> Especially when you meditate, when you allow yourself to completely dissolve into the pure awareness, you realize that actually you can set yourself free. <coughs> have you ever had this moment that from this moment on, I don't need anybody from outside to set myself free because I can do this for myself? Not only that, I already demonstrated and I've already proved myself that I can set myself free because I free to liberate myself. And right now, in this very moment, did you have that uh, such a moment that you might like to call spiritual epiphany or satori? Tibetans call it instantaneous liberation. It happens periodically, not always, as uh, James said. Mm -hmm. Mm 
this amazing certainty, this divine certainty that you truly feel that you can set yourself free and that you don't need anybody's help from outside, not from even Buddha, not from any uh, divine entities and authorities. Jigmet Lamba, one of the most uh, enlightened teachers in Tibet, said that there's a point that you'll gain this uh, absolute certainty. Certain that I'm speaking about right now. In where that you feel even uh, uh, 1,000 Buddhas uh, appear in front of you, and 80 Mahasiddhas walked in front of you, <laughs> and you feel that you don't have to talk to them <laughs> because you know the truth already. He said, that is the certainty, the absolute certainty that you must acquire very soon and do everything in your power to gain that certainty. It's a divine certainty. No one, your true essence, no one, deeply known, not conceptually, but experientially, known that you are already the pure awareness, the Buddha mind, and known that you have every power, every means every magic and to set yourself free and to once again rediscover you to nature. There is a chain in each of us and chain that is a binding us to this uh, endless sorrow through eons and eons. And when we simply turn our intention inward and we see this uh, chain within each of us, this uh, eternal bondage, samsara. And yet samsara is simply mental construct. And if we really look honestly into the very makeup or the very ground of a samsara, we will find that the ground of samsara is also not so solid, it's very transient, it's always ready to fall apart. So what I'm speaking about right now is not my personal revelation. This is very much the fundamental message of all the enlightened ones in the Buddhist tradition. Uh, Jara Asanga, another well-known Mahayana teacher, uh, wrote this beautiful teaching as a revelation from Buddha Maitreya. And this teaching is called uh, Uttaratantra in that teaching, he illuminated a very profound meditation, which is a form of analysis or inquiry. He said, by using Indian 
his cosmology as a metaphor. He said, if you look the wall, you'll find that the earth comes from the water and water comes from the fire and the fire comes from the space. And then when you ask where does space come from, comes from nowhere. Space comes from itself because space is non-material, uncompounded, has no beginning, has no end. Space is a purely indestructible. In the same way, when you go inside and touch your suffering and simply ask, where does this sorrow come from? It comes from karma. Karma here means uh, mind's uh, habits and tendencies. And then when you ask where does karma come from, comes from delusion. But then if you keep inquiring to find out the very ground of delusion, then you'll find that the ground of delusion is not actually delusion. Ground of delusion is actually inexpressible, this extraordinary truth. The Tathangatangarabha, the Buddha essence, the emptiness, the no-self, and which is intrinsically nameless, inexpressible. And yet we can give many names to it. We can call it emptiness, the original purity, the Tathangatangarabha, the eternal Buddha Dharmakaya, as you wish, you can give many names to it. It's the original purity. That is your true essence, your original face. And liberation as well as the ultimate joy, <laughs> the ultimate happiness. Remember Buddha talked about that there are two kinds of happiness. There's a mundane happiness and there's a ultimate happiness. Today, my friend, uh, this amazing Bodhisattva, Maha <laughs> Bodhisattva, James, invited all of you <laughs> to discover the transcendent joy. The joy that the Buddha has been inviting humanity to experience and, and to completely drink it because this joy is free. <laughs> totally free, doesn't cost anything in the ultimate sense. Whereas the mundane joy costs a lot. <laughs> quite expensive too. <laughs> the mind enjoys not free because it, it is a, a product of achievement and acquisitions of this and that, the thousand lust, love, approval, success. So 
uh, let be a little bit playful today, so I will tell you a story. <laughs> <laughs> story of a Nasrudan. Um, perhaps many of you have heard Nasrudan, who was uh, uh, this uh, eccentric uh, master in the Sufi tradition. Many of you have heard this story from me. Uh, one time Nasrudan was just uh, walking on the street and then he ran into this lady who looks very unhappy. So Nasruddin asked her where she is traveling and she said, I tried everything and yet I haven't found any uh, meaning and true joy in my life. So I'm looking for joy and happiness. And of course, uh, Nasruddin felt great sympathy with her. He wanted to help her, but of course, he didn't have any idea, any uh, spontaneous strategy to help her. But he noticed that she was carrying a bag. So suddenly he got an idea, he grabbed her bag and ran away. <laughs> and he heard that she was a cursing at him and trying to <laughs> grab him, but it turned out that Nasruddin was much faster than her. And then one point, uh, Nasruddin realized that uh, he's very far away from her. And he put the bag in the middle of the road and head behind a tree. And then after a while, the lady showed up. She was sweating, she was still cursing, was very angry, but she found the bag in the middle of the road. And she picked up and she was so happy, she was joyous and ecstatic. <laughs> and Nasruddin says, this is another way to produce happiness. <laughs> and usually when we look into our life, most of the time we feel that we are somehow discovering joy, happiness, they are simply often product of something, product of circumstances and conditions and favorable conditions. This idea that we are getting something or we are getting something that we have lost or we are getting something that we have been desiring and wanting and obsessing at all. So all this uh, Happiness and joy that we experience in this lifetime are mainly mundane, mundane happiness, Buddha called literally mundane happiness or worldly happiness, and which is of course not a bad thing to experience, it's much better to experience the earthly joy and worldly happiness than feeling totally miserable and unhappy. Mm-hmm. Of course, you are entitled to experience, enjoy the abundance of worldly happiness. But worldly happiness is very shallow, very shallow. It doesn't last long time and it's and shallow. There's no comparison between this transcendent joy and worldly joy. The transcendent joy is very rich so rich that there's not even one word, one metaphor to describe this 
the wonder, the beauty, the inexpressible richness of the, the transcendent or the transcendent or the enlightened joy until you experience it. You have to experience it. And when you experience it, then perhaps you feel quite happy that you open your heart and you transcend all your limitations and then allow yourself to glimpse that miracle, this extraordinary miracle, the richness of the transcendent joy. And that transcendent joy, the unconditional happiness, the true happiness that never can be destroyed and never can be injured by any other causes and conditions, can arise only through and removing this veil within each of us, veil that obscuring our to nature, and that is the illusion of self. And let's talk about uh, the path of anatta, path of transcendence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then everything that we are speaking about right now, this notion of transcendent joy, is not actually theory, it's not a, a far-fetched idea. It's actually a reality. It is a truth that you can experience. Not only that, you can actually actualize it. And you can actualize that truth as the very much basis of your life. So, therefore, it's worthwhile for all of us and to open our mind to such amazing reality. And perhaps many of you have already discovered this reality a long time ago. <laughs> so I don't have to tell you, I don't have to encourage you to open your mind to such extraordinary reality. Great Dzogchen masters call this illusion of self the conceptual splinter. <laughs> Imagine it's a splinter in your consciousness. So we are living with this splinter uh, for a very long time. No wonder why there's so much uh, agony and misery in this existence. And this splinter has to be removed. There's no need, there's no good reason to keep going. And with this splinter, we can 
remove the splinter. You know, sometimes there are not so much words to express. <laughs> and sometimes there are lots to talk about. And especially when you start understanding teaching, there's not so much to talk about. <laughs> I'm feeling quite happy to be around all of you, even though... <laughs> There's not so much to talk about in this little moment. <laughs> As Jim said, just relax. <laughs> and and to, to be a little bit playful, <laughs> bring a lot of humor and joy, and then maybe your heart will open. There's a dichotomy. It's almost sound uh, paradoxical. That is, uh, on the one hand, it is true that this whole notion of uh, realizing truth is a very difficult task. It's very impossible task because very few people succeed at such voyage in human history. And on the other hand, it is also true that it's quite actually not so easy but very simple to realize the highest truth, the Paramatta Satya in Buddhist language, the ultimate truth, your original face. It's not so difficult at all. Sound, there's a paradox between these two proposals, but there's no actually paradox. It is true that going beyond one's limitations and to realize one's original face, the Buddha within, this pure awareness, which is your true ground, is not that impossible task. So there's no really paradox in the end. There's a prayer in my lineage and the prayer, something we used to recite before we meditate. The prayer, we pray that to be enlightened on this very spot, on this very ground, where we are about to sit. And there's a, this saying in my tradition says, if you meditate, on the awareness in the morning and then you will be enlightened in the noon. If you meditate on awareness 
in the noon, then you'll be enlightened in the afternoon. And then I heard a different version of the same saying. One goes, if you meditate on the awareness in the morning, you'll be enlightened in the morning. <laughs> and if you meditate on the awareness at noon, you'll be enlightened at noon. So, of course, forget this whole idea of being enlightened. It's sound very too fancy. But what I'm trying to say is that uh, even in this very moment, even while you are sitting here, there's already auspicious synchronicity coming together all the necessary means and circumstances for you to open your mind and to transcend the veil inside you and to realize the transcendent joy, happiness, which is ground over your true nature from the very beginning, from the beginningless time. So there's only one hindrance in the end. There are not too many hindrances. Hindrances that are obscuring this extraordinary reality, the transcendent joy of the Buddha within. There's only one hindrance. That hindrance is the veil within each of us, the veil of self. This self, this illusory self, the sense of I am, Separate self is actually illusion. It's merely virtual reality. It's imaginary entity. It's a phantom. Of course, conceptually, this is very difficult to comprehend because our life, everything we do is very much somehow uh, coming from this grasping to the illusion of self. And this is what we know who we are. And this is, seems to be the center of the world, center of the universe. When we say I, if we say right now the word I, and what image appears in your consciousness? Does the Dharmakaya appears in your consciousness. <laughs> if that's so, then I will come down and I will prostrate you right as <laughs> When you say the word I, who appears in your consciousness? The luminous awareness, the emptiness. Well, if that is the case, then I must tell you that you're doing very well. <laughs> But who appears in your consciousness when you say the word I, when you think I? Usually it appears this contracted version of self, this limited sense of self, and which has all this. Uh, 
uh, elaborations. It has many extensions. All the images of self identities and that were very much uh, holding on to and believing in are part of it. Even even this idea that a man and woman is part of it. Remember one time Buddha was approached by a Brahman and the Brahman asked Buddha why he was ordaining Dalits, untouchables, as bhikshus and as renunciate and why was he inviting untouchables and females into his ordination. So Buddha was very skillful. Instead, given the answer, he asked this Brahman, is there consciousness? The Brahma said, yes, there is consciousness. Because consciousness is a universal language. Every tradition, some may or another, believe a, a notion of eternity, either they call soul or consciousness or Buddha nature. And then Buddha asked him, is consciousness male or female? Then Brahman said, it's neither female nor male. So then Buddha said, being female and male is also concept. <laughs> Ultimately, everything we believe about who we are is concept. Even being female is concept, being male is concept. I like to also recite a very famous uh, uh, story from the Tantra of Tara. Tara is a, a female deity in the Buddhist tradition and she is an archetype. She is the expression of the uh, love and compassion which is who we are, because we are actually Tara, we are that boundless love and compassion when we can go beyond this uh, illusory self, this veil. The story, of course, this is a metaphorical legend. And one time Tara was born as a princess, and she didn't have any interest in worldly affairs marriage, etc. So she wanted to become a renunciate. And all her friends tried to encourage her to stay in the world and to uh, continue the lineage of uh, her father and become uh, a queen someday. She said, I had no interest in becoming a a worldly being, so all my hearts now go to the one goal, which is to become renunciate for liberation of all living beings. And it, and then, and her friends told her, "You are female. You are a woman. Women are inferior." You're not worthy to become renunciate. 
And then she said, being women and men are concepts. And from now on I vow, I shall remain as a female forever. <laughs> from this moment on through many lifetimes, I'm going to remain as a female. And my name is going to be Tara forever, eternally, from this moment on. <laughs> of course, this is a, uh, just legend, but uh, as a beautiful legend has the most profound message. Here, this legend is telling that there's something inside us. There's neither female nor male. There is neither good or bad. And that is Tara. So Tara is in each of us. And Tara is your original face. And Tara is actually indeed not a goddess setting outside. Tara is within each of us. Tara is that boundless compassion, boundless love. This is actually who we are. So our true ground, our original faith is this boundless love. It itself is this abundance of joy. And this is who we are. And we have been Tara all along, from time immemorial. And we can see it because there is this thin veil obscuring our original face. And that veil is the illusion of self, which is actually already fallen apart on its own. And you'll discover that when you allow yourself to open your heart, and drive into the fire of devotion. Devotion. When I say devotion, I'm speaking of devotion as longing, longing and yearning, yearning to discover your original face. And then you see this veil is not so solid. This veil is already fallen apart. Yes. 25 minutes, right? Maybe a little. Can you hear? Is it okay? Yeah. Great. Okay, so um, just a, a few brief words before we go into practice to kind of put what Rinpoche is saying into practice. Um, one is as far as um, The self is, is not anything you have to get rid of. <clears throat> it's just that you don't have to create it. It's, it's simply a construct. 
And as he was saying, in relaxing, in relaxing our um, ideas and concepts and, and strivings, then we can simply allow the awareness that is who we are to shine through. It's not even your awareness. Can you say, my awareness? You know, my awareness is better than your awareness. You know, <laughs> my pure awareness is better than yours. You know, it doesn't make any sense. Like, for just a moment, before we get into the, the quiet, close your eyes, just relax, and um, just notice what's What's here? You might notice sounds in the room. Or you might notice sensations in the body. Not trying to make anything happen. See if you can turn the awareness off. See if you can not notice. Try not to notice sounds or reality. If you want, try hard. Can you turn your awareness off? Or can you turn the awareness off? It's just happening all on its own. And it's been happening from the moment you came into this world. At least in your waking state. You don't have to make awareness happen. It's who we are and it just shines through us. And when you can let it shine through and just delight in the awareness, then it's just uh, awareness awareing. It's just awareness being aware of itself. And as you're in that space, uh, I want to share with you a a poem that um, I love that points to this by my favorite poet, Dana Falls, called Awareness Knowing Itself. Settle in the here and now. Reach down into the center where the world is not spinning and drink this holy peace. Feel relief flood into every cell. Nothing to do, nothing to be, but what you are already. Nothing to receive, but what flows effortlessly from the mystery into form. Nothing to run from, or run toward, 
just this breath, awareness, knowing itself as embodiment, just this breath, awareness, waking up to truth. So as, as we sit together, and whatever dances in this field of awareness, whether it's the breath, or sensations, or sounds, or thoughts, or feelings, everything is just doing its dance in this field of awareness and to remember that you're not any of those, you're not the sounds, you're not the sensations, they're all just doing their own thing. Just play around with being the awareness, which is not what you would call me, but just be the awareness that is knowing reality that shines through you. And then the you can disappear just in the relaxation. And besides relaxing, which is a very profound thing to do, there's one other component that is useful to um, keep in mind, and that's simply being interested. It's really a relaxed awareness that enjoys meeting life, enjoys receiving life, that just knows on its own, and it can be supported by uh, an inclining towards the natural interest that loves to feel alive. And then whenever you find yourself drifting off into thought or sleepy or whatever mood might come, that's all part of this moment. You don't have to take it personally. That's just one more construction of a self that's not here. All of those sensations coming and going on their own, thoughts coming and going, you don't invite them. They just arise and pass away. Feelings, moods, just coming and going on their own, all arising and passing. Just keep on coming back to the relief, the ease, the joy of just being the awareness. You know, in the, in the Hindu tradition, a beautiful term, sat-chit-ananda, maybe you're familiar with it, Sat, just the being, chit, consciousness, 
an ananda bliss or joy that when we are simply aware of being, the natural expression of that is, is joy. It's just feeling life move through you. Nothing that you need to do. So we'll sit for, let's say, uh, about a half an hour. Mm-hmm. And practice in this way. As you sit, feel your body here. Feel your connection with the earth. If you like, you can take a few deeper breaths and just uh, breathe in life, let it move through you and move out. And as you do, relax. And then let go of trying to make anything happen, trying to have a good meditation. You can connect with the breath, if you like, as a place that you can always rest in. But primarily, just be the awareness Be the relaxed, interested, kind, compassionate awareness that Rinpoche just mentioned that is your true nature. That's who you really are. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.